So we come back to Genesis chapter 8 this week. After a break last week, but as you will remember, the narrative has been building from creation to man's fall and to sin to the promise and the hope of one who will bring victory over the tempter. We have seen the world, the city, filled with sin and violence, and God has brought justice upon the earth through the flood, yet He has brought salvation through judgment. Now, we could have just done this whole section in one, one sermon. Uh, we could have done Noah all in one go. Salvation through judgment. Um, I don't believe there's a right and a wrong way to do this, but we have gone, we've taken a slower approach, and I believe the advantage of this is that we can meditate more upon the specific flow of the narrative. So we can slow down, see what's happening in detail. So let's look at this passage together. Genesis chapter 8, we'll read verse 1 to verse 19. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens were restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the tenth month, in the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of forty days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth the dove from him to see if the waters had subsided. From the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark, and the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was freshly plucked olive leaf was a freshly plucked olive leaf so noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove and she did not return to him anymore in the six hundred and first year in the first month the first day of the month the waters were dried from off the earth and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and behold the face of the ground was dry in the second month on the 27th day of the month the earth had dried out then Noah then God said to Noah go out from the ark you and your wife and your sons 
and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out by families from the ark. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our faithful God, you have taught us that all of your word is useful for us. Would you show us in this very basic and simple narrative that indeed your word, all of it, is useful for the good of your church. Strengthen us, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen. Now, up until this point, Noah has experienced the terrible judgment of God all around him. It would have been terrible. It would have been an incredible sadness to see the destruction of the earth. Though rescued, surely these 40 days and 40 nights with nothing but nonstop rain would have haunted them. God had promised the flood and it came. But what next? But what next? For the context, I remind you of Genesis 7, verse 24, just before our passage that I read. And the waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days. This event was twice as long as our MCO and CMCO combined, which is around 80, 80 or so days in 2020. Now, it is no doubt that many of you felt trapped. Those 80 or so days felt like they went on and on and on. Now, we were in our homes with our TVs and our internet and all the advances of modern conveniences. Noah has been on a boat with none of those things. Do you think that Noah would have felt forgotten that Noah would have asked the question, where is God? Oftentimes when we read the Bible, we have a hard time imagining the experience, and oftentimes we don't actually enter into the experience. We don't think about the isolation, the uncertainty, the discomfort of being on a very large boat for a very long time time with no ground to touch, a lot of smelly animals, I don't know how all that worked out, 
but it was messy. I think we can be sure of that. It was very, very messy. And again, the focus of this narrative that it's drawing out is that it was a long time. And here's the thing. There was no specific plan of what came next. Noah had no clue. He knew that it was going to rain, and he knew that they were going to be safe on the ark, but that is all. And if you really look at Noah as a real human being, which he was, by the way, you would actually begin to realize and to begin to feel, wow, he may have thought on certain days it might have been better to die than to be in here. Do you think that could have been his thought? Now, some of us, when we get on an airplane, for just a very short period of time, you know, we're, we're like ready to kiss the ground. Some of you maybe have been on, on a boat. I mean, this was a very big boat, like a shipping boat. But still, nonetheless, it would have felt like a long and difficult struggle. Friends, when we read the Bible, we need to feel... We need to bring ourselves into the situation, into the story. There was pain, there was grief, there was discomfort. Lots and lots of waiting and uncertainty. So when we come to verse 1, we're pre prepared. We're prepared. If we, if, we, if we get the sense of things in the narrative. But God remembered Noah. This is not just an intellectual remembering, as if God forgot. No, he is not like a human here. God is using human language to describe himself, getting on our level. This is the kind of remembrance that's connected to faithful love and a timely intervention. As Derek Kidner puts it, God's remembering always implies his movement towards the object of his memory. Such that now when we see God's covenant commitment being put on display, it highlights his remembering. Because actually more important than our remembering is God's remembering. We're actually going to see that in the next chapter as the rainbow unfolds. It is God, who puts the rainbow there, for him, communicating that he remembers. Certainly, this sign would have comforted Noah that God keeps his word promise. Therefore, we see that biblically, with God's remembrance, it is always tied to action. It's not just a mental thing that's happening. It moves him. God remembers, God promises, and God acts. This is the, the repeated flow throughout redemptive history. It's manifested particularly as we move from the Abrahamic covenant to the Mosaic covenant, the very beginning of Exodus. There Israel is in slavery. And it says that God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant. This would be the basis for his deliverance. So verse 1 is a summary, really, of this whole section. God's remembrance. And then by a solitary act of the Almighty, 
God, the creation is restored. Let's say end of story. The second half of verse 1 is really highlighting that action. God made a wind to blow over the earth and the waters subsided. Mirroring creation, that word for wind is the same word translated for the spirit, depending on the context. So we're being brought back to the creation story. There the wind blows upon the waters and guess what happens? New creation. Restoration. In the Red Sea, the same thing happens. God sends a wind upon the sea and the land is made. There is dry land. This is the means by which God saves his people, showing forth his power. Just as in creation, so God speaks and so it was. Now, verse 1, this is really, this says it all, just like Genesis 1.1 and Genesis 1.2. It seems to be instantaneous, but what's interesting, it's just as we know in Genesis 1, we see again, God actually shows us now the process. God could have, in one moment, created everything that exists, but instead, interestingly enough, his creation is done in a slow, gradual way. So too in recreation. So you could summarize this section in this way. There is a beginning, verse 2 and 5. Verse 2, 2, 5. You see the process and the timeline for the rain stopping, water remaining on the earth, and then finally coming to the resting of the ark upon the mountains. Next, we see the middle, verse 6 to 12, the process and the timeline for the season after the end of the rain when the waters were still upon the earth, eventually leading to the resting of the dove upon the olive tree. And then the end, verse 13 to 19, the process and timeline for the earth after dry land had appeared. And Noah and his family and the animals had this exodus from the ark. There their feet would rest upon this dry earth. So we will not go into complete detail in all these sections, but again, see the process, feel the process, and it will actually help us understand how God works all of these paragraphs, there's a lot of detail with the timelines and when things happen, and that's significant. This whole section has been all about that, as our brother had shown us. Decades of building the ark. Decades of patiently building the ark. And then 40 days and 40 nights of nonstop rain. It rains just a few days in Malaysia. We, we understand, we know the devastation that can be caused. We know the unpleasantness of, again, being stuck at home. 
But this is 40 days. No outdoor time. No sunshine. No vitamin D. Perhaps a recipe for depression. Now the rain has stopped. And then Noah realized that, you know, this water isn't going anywhere very fast. Perhaps that too would have been a depressing thought. You have a total of 150 days where the waters prevailed on the earth. And at the end of that period is when the waters were lessening. They were going down gradually. In verse 3, the ark finally rested. Perhaps a play on words with Noah's name, which means rest. Perhaps all that could be seen was the mountaintops. That's the first paragraph. Middle paragraph, the birds are sent out. First is the raven, then the dove, in order to see if they can find land. And the author very painstakingly highlights all these details of the bird going out, the bird coming back, and the reports, and the time period in which they waited in order to send out the birds. Seven-day gap between sending out each, each bird, it says it two times, that Noah waited another seven days. It says it in verse 10. Noah waited another seven days. And then again, in verse 12, Noah waited. So, from the round one with the raven to three rounds with the doves, finally the dove returns with the olive branch. And Noah says at last, ah, there's life. Life is growing now from the trees. Something good is happening. Creation is being restored. The waters are continuing to go down. The birds have found a resting place like the ark. But what about Noah? But what about Noah? We come to the last paragraph. Then verse 13 is a very key knowledge point here that all in all this has taken about a year. Because it says that it was the 601st year, which is tracking with Noah's life. Which we saw in chapter 7, verse 6, that all of this began when he was 600 years old. One year. That is a long time to be on a boat. It's like the time is just getting longer and longer, even as we look at the narrative. But then notice the process of moving off the ark. The end of verse 13. Noah looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. Now, this is when me and my son, we're like running. We're just bolting out that door. Not Noah. No. After this one year, then he gets to this point where he can see the mountain peaks. Then he gets to see the olive leaf. And now he can see the dry ground, the place where he can rest his feet. The new earth is here at last. But Noah's not going anywhere yet. 
He waits for the word of the Lord. Verse 15. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark. God says, Go out from the ark. Noah's whole life was consumed and shaped by God's timeline and by God's word. This mirrors how he entered the ark. Seven, Chapter 7, verse 1, the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark. And now God says, go out. Noah being described as a righteous man, just as we've seen. That righteousness came from his faith, and that faith had produced in him a patience. An incredible amount of patience to wait upon God, to have his eyes so firmly fixed on God's word. What does God's word say? It is only then that I go. So these verses, much like the pattern in Genesis 1, God speaks to his creation and there is a response So verse 16 and 17, the family leaves the ark. God says go, Noah goes. His family goes. The animals go, just as God said, just as God called them to do. And so what do you have? You have these swarming, swarming creatures over the earth. The language is just like Genesis 1. And then the call to be fruitful and multiply. So we're supposed to see that God is doing a reboot of the earth, to put it as Dr. Leong has put it in his book. It's a reboot. Noah and his family and the animals can now be at rest upon this new earth, the one that God has purified and restored. This would have been an incredible encouragement to the original readers of this scripture who needed to learn to wait upon the Lord every step as they anticipated the promised land in the wilderness. They needed to wait upon the Lord. He had promised something with His Word. And they really needed to believe and trust that He was going to get their feet into that land of rest. But what about us today? New Covenant Christians you would turn with me to 2 Peter 3. Previously, we've looked at 1 Peter. I have another reference here to Noah that I think is going to be really helpful for us briefly. First, uh, excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? So there are going to be those who doubt God's word, do not believe God is going to fulfill his promise. And following this verse, Peter is going to divide up history. Through this section, he's going to divide it up in total into three parts. The world that was before the flood, the world post-flood in anticipation of that final age, and the new heavens and the new earth. Notice the end of verse 6. The world that then existed was a deluge of with water and perished. It perished. That was the old earth. Judgment has come and this section is filled, again, corresponding as we've heard in the previous sermons, that just like in Noah's day, judgment is going to come again. 
But I want you to notice the positive emphasis. As you move down, not just judgment, but God's people are waiting on our redemption, just like Noah, 2 Peter 3, verse 13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We must believe, like Noah, that God has a land for us, that our feet might rest, and it will indeed be a righteous land. So we, like Noah, are waiting, and there's a positive purpose. There's a plan. There's an end goal in this waiting. And what a greater hope that we have even more than Noah had. How much more revelation do we have? How much more glorious and precious promises do we have in Christ? But here's our question today. How do we have the strength to wait? Waiting feels like torture. Just have kids and you will see. Waiting feels like torture. And if you're honest as an adult, we too struggle with this idea of waiting. I was interacting with a, with a friend recently, and he was saying, yeah, waiting feels like wasting. From a worldly point of view, time is being wasted. Years of building the ark. From a worldly point of view, this was a waste. And now in our own section, from a personal and a feeling point of view, Noah would have been tempted to think that a year of his life is being wasted on this boat, doing nothing. No progress, no movement forward of society. Just sitting there waiting. I've had many conversations with teachers since the pandemic, and it seems that this waiting time has really stunted students' growth. Businesses have been stunted through this period of waiting. These, these things are true. But we must be very clear that for the children of God, no time is wasted. Nothing is wasted in His economy. Because all of time is being used as a means to accomplish His purposes. All of that waiting... It's doing something for the Christian. You can even note the end goal in 2 Peter verse 3.9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is the age where God is pouring out His mercy that all of His children might be brought in to the ark. It's the central message in the New Testament that God remembers His people. And He's shown it through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That new ark. That all who come to Him will find refuge. Soon, friends, soon, we too will be on that glorious land. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the, the greater Noah, He's there. He's touched His feet there, and the good news of the gospel is like that dove delivering that olive branch. 
saying, it's coming. It's coming. Recreation. Friends, are you waiting with this kind of hope, with this kind of confidence in what the Lord Jesus Christ has done? Do you believe that God will remember you in Christ? I think there's a critical question before we close, and that is how do we wait rightly? How do we wait rightly? How do we apply this text? Well, one, we apply it by firmly fixing our eyes upon his word. That's how we wait. We focus on his promises like Noah. But secondly, our whole lives should be fixated on living out his word. Only going when he says go. We're following his word. Peter actually draws this out, 2 Peter 3, 14. Therefore, beloved... In this season of waiting, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. We should be diligent, therefore. God is creating a righteous land where the righteous one, even greater righteousness than Noah, the righteous land is there. Therefore, we begin to conform ourselves to that land in which God has called us to go. Are you, friends, preoccupied with righteous living in your waiting? If you see the goal, it shapes the present. There's a purpose. Finally, I think this one is, is really key for us, that we need a waiting, a waiting which is done with a heart that is at peace. Notice this last phrase, very striking, the last phrase of 1 Peter 3, 14, that we should be found at peace. Many of us, all of us wait. But I would bet that most of us wait in a worry, with a great amount of anxiety in our waiting. There's a hundred things that we worry about. Are our children's gonna ha children going to have the resources they need to thrive and be successful. Am I going to be cared for when I'm older? One of the chief anxieties I think people in our day face, both in Malaysia and in my home country, is that of politics. Is that of politics? We worry. Are things going to go right? We long, we rightly long for a land of justice and righteousness. That's a good longing. That's a good desire. But if we forget, if we forget that ultimately it is God who is going to bring about the new earth, then we are going to grow very jaded very quickly. Now, this doesn't make us passive. Actually, it doesn't make us passive at all. We're obeying the voice of the Lord. We're seeking to shape our lives and society by His righteousness and His goodness that all might experience His goodness. So it's not passive. Remember, 
that God remembers and God acts, so too we remember and we act. We do His Word. We live it out. But we need to remind ourselves again and again and again that God's going to do it His way and He's going to do it in His time. It's going to be His way and it's going to be in His time. Friends, are you struggling to wait? As we look at Noah, we're reminded that we can trust Him, that God is calling us to be patient. Noah waited and waited. So too, friends, our life is one of waiting and waiting. But like Noah, we know it's a good, good end. It's a good, good end, so we don't grow discouraged. Ultimately, we can be confident and assured that it is God who remembers. He remembers. He remembers you, May. He remembers you, Ben. He remembers you, Victor. He remembers you, Chongyi. He remembers you and I in Christ. It's demonstrated his attentiveness to you in sending the Lord Jesus Christ. So friends, let us press on. Let us press on. Wait and wait, but with the clarity, knowing that we will not be forgotten. Let's pray. Our Father, grow our faith. Make us a people who wait with a fixation upon your word. Make us a people who wait with an eagerness and a zealousness to live in godliness, to be conformed to that righteous land in which you will build for your people. Father, to be like Noah who waited in faith who waited at peace, at peace, able to rest in this world where sin and judgment has wreaked all sorts of havoc. Lord, we believe that you are indeed bringing your people to that glorious land. Give us confidence. Give us faith. Help us to support one another as we wait, to encourage one another. Lord, use your word to build your people up today. We pray this in Christ's name.